you please be seated. So may these words of mine be in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Wherever Paul went, he spoke to people of changed lives. Paul was convinced that Jesus was the answer to all life's problems. Whatever the problem was, Jesus was the solution. Jean Watson was the wife of David Watson, a well-known Christian evangelist in the 1980s. Jean was constantly met by people, particularly women, who would come up to her after hearing David speak and say to her, how wonderful it must be to be married to a man like David. And she always said to them, yes it is, David is a model husband. He's a small-scale version of what he's meant to be. I think that's true of all of us. We are small-scale versions of the men and the women God intends us to be. There's a gap between what we are and what we know we could be. If you have any doubt about that, go into Waterstones, go into any bookshop, and you will see the groaning shelves of self-help books. None of us is the man or the woman that we know we should be. There's a gap. I would say there is a chasm between who we are and who God intends us to be. And there's a reason why that is the case. It's a one-word reason. Sin. It's an old-fashioned, it's a rarely used word. So let me take you back to your Sunday school days or my Sunday school days. I remember being taught what sin was by the teacher saying to me, Alan, spell sin for me and tell me what the middle letter is. And I would say S-I-N, and the middle letter is I. And she would say to me, that's sin, when I is in the centre instead of God, when you pull God down from his throne and take his place. You see, that's what all of us do. And we do it not occasionally, but habitually. Sin gets its grip on us. 
So much so that if you're being honest, you will know that often you see good things that you really want to do, but you don't do them. It's almost as though you can't do them. And then you will see things that you know are wrong, that you really do not want to do. But all too often, it's precisely those things that you end up doing. You'll recognize what I'm talking about. This is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. He talks about the universal plight of mankind. The grip that sin has on every man and every woman and every child born into this world. And he ends chapter 7 by saying this, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I wonder whether you've ever been there. I wonder whether that resonates with your experience. Or is this just something in Scripture long ago and far away? Have there been times when you have seen things you knew were right, but failed to do them? When you saw things you knew were wrong, but did them? And you tried to change yourself, but failed miserably? Do you see yourself as someone who needs rescuing because you are powerless to do it yourself. You may have heard of a famous American family. They were called the Talbot Ponsonbys. And this family, like all good American families, came over on the Mayflower. In their line, they included senators and preachers and Wall Street wizards. And the day came when they decided to write a family history for the benefit of the children. They found an author who said he would gladly dite the book. Ah, they said, there's one problem. We do have a black sheep in our family by the name of Uncle George. He was executed in the electric chair. The author smiled and said he would deal with this tactfully. He wrote the book And when he'd finished, the first page, of course, that everybody in the family turned to was about Uncle George. And he wrote this. George Talbot Ponsonby occupied a chair of electric applied electronics at a well-known government institution. (laughs) He was attached to it by the strongest possible ties and his death came as a real shock. Now, you see, the Talbot Ponsonbys were trying to hide the truth from other people. But I suggest to you that you and I try to hide the truth from ourselves. That really we are people who are not the man, who are not the woman. That in our heart of hearts we know God wants us to be. And yet somehow we are powerless to change it. Now you can understand the absolute cry of triumph of Paul at the beginning of Romans chapter 8. Now, he says, now there is no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Something's happened. Something absolutely wonderful. It's like moving from darkness to light. It's like moving from death to light. It's like moving from imprisonment to freedom, from misery to joy. Now there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Something has happened. Let me tell you what hasn't happened. God has not decided just to forget it. The fact that we have turned our backs on God, the fact that we have ignored God, the fact that we have deliberately and continually gone against his wishes and commands, he does not say, forget it. Let's just sweep that under the carpet. Let's pretend that that never happened. God is a holy God, and sin is serious not trivial. God has done something to change the situation. If you have a Bible near you, Romans chapter 8, we'll see what he's done. It's on page 1134. So on page 1134, let's look at what God did to change the situation which we were powerless to change. He begins chapter 8 by saying this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Why not? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. How so? For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, here's the answer, God did. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. In other words, to die in our place. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. God doesn't sweep it under the carpet. Who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. I've often said to people that if they understand the first four verses of Romans chapter 8, then they understand the Christian gospel. What we could not do for ourselves, God did for us. Jesus died in our place as our substitute. And so suddenly, there is now no condemnation. But you see, it gets better. I've told you only half of what Paul says is the good news. Our past has been dealt with. It's gone. It's finished. We are set free from the grip of sin that held us so tightly. Think today of a prisoner in jail, maybe for a long period of time. 
he is released, the penalty has been paid, he is now a free man. What does he need above all? He needs somebody to befriend him, somebody to come alongside, somebody to help him and give him a fresh start. If this does not happen, well, we all know what will happen. He'll go back to his old haunts with his old friends and his own ways, and history will very soon repeat itself. So what happens with us? It is marvellous. Jesus dies on the cross. But does God then say, over to you. It's up to you now. I've done all this for you. I've set you free. Just do your best in the future. Not at all. This is what Paul is so excited about in Romans chapter 8. God gives us the power to live a new life. He gives us his Holy Spirit. Imagine a glove. Back to my Sunday school days. Imagine a glove lying on a table. You could say to that glove all day, glove, do this. Glove, do that. And the glove would be powerless. It would be unable to do anything that you tell it to do. But then imagine that you put your hand inside the glove. And suddenly, everything is different. With your hand inside that glove, the glove that was formerly powerless could hold a hammer, could drive a car, could pick up a Bible. That's what Jesus says to us. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But with God's Holy Spirit living in us, empowering us, we are enabled to live the life that God always intended for us to do. How do we live a life that makes us Christ-like? How do we live like Jesus? Exactly the same way that he did by keeping in step with the Spirit, by learning to recognize the voice of the Spirit. If Larisse, my wife, phones me, I instantly recognize her voice. But some people ring me up, and I have to say, I'm sorry, who's speaking? Because they're strangers. We have to make sure that we recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit as an intimate daily companion and not the voice of a stranger. So how can we do that? Well, let me suggest three ways. The first and the most basic is through Scripture. If you want to recognize the voice of the Spirit, you need to immerse yourself in this book. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. 
And the breath of God is God's Holy Spirit. This book, the Bible, is the book of the Holy Spirit. If you immerse yourself in it, if you make it your daily companion, then you learn to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. And you are enabled to keep in step with him. First scripture. Secondly, prayer. Now, I know any time you mention prayer, people tend to look down because we feel guilty. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for. But look at Romans chapter 8 again. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. You see, if you become a man or a woman of prayer, you become joint worker with God's Holy Spirit. You will find God's Spirit there aiding, supporting, prompting, and encouraging. And you will again learn to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit. Scripture, prayer, and certainly for me, spiritual companions. The Christian life is not a journey that we take alone. We need to find people who are further on in that journey than we are. And they can help us discern. They can help us hear better what the Spirit is saying in our everyday lives. So God intends us to be like Jesus. He gives us his Holy Spirit to make that possible. He commands us to keep in step with the Spirit, to recognize the Spirit's voice. And we can do it through Scripture, through prayer, through the help of spiritual companions. It's a fantastic challenge. We've got small ambitions, petty ambitions. Paul says God's will for us is that we are conformed to the likeness of Christ Jesus. That's the challenge for every one of us. It is possible. The cross sets us free from the penalty of the past. The Holy Spirit enables us to live Christ-like lives in the present. Can you see why Paul was so excited? Can you see why he wanted to tell the good news to everybody? Because what Jesus offers to us is a new life for an old life. Each one of us, because of the cross, is a model Christian. A small-scale version of what God intends us to be. Let us welcome the Spirit. Let us ask for the power of the Spirit so that we may be the full man 
the full-grown woman that God always intended. Let's pray. Father, so many of these things we heard about this morning have been familiar to us for many years. Lord, will you revive again a real sense of the freedom you give us in Jesus Christ? Will you give us a real desire to be holy, to be the man or the woman you long for us to be? May we welcome your spirit and walk in step with him. We ask this in Jesus' name.